Well, good morning again. We are in a brand new series. Why don't you stand with me to your feet? We're going to be talking breaking bread. Everybody say breaking bread. Breaking bread. This is a series all about relationships. And let me give you a brief bit of my heart before we jump into this. And you'll have to stand for like 37 seconds. So bear with me. We have a problem. You're like, well, we have lots of problems. <laughs> Specifically, we, we live in the midst of a current crisis in our relationships. Now, I would argue that it's always been there and the pandemic has exacerbated this problem, but we sit in the midst of a relational crisis. Friends that could have stayed together, that are now estranged. Spouses that could have thrived in their marriages, now split up or on the verge of splitting up. Parents that could have been in relation, great relationships with their kids that are now barely speaking or not speaking at all. And it didn't have to be that way. And so the whole premise, the whole crux of this series is that there are gospel and Bible relational skills that if we have ears to hear, God is willing to unpack wisdom for us that will literally <clears throat> change our lives and change our relationships. Like we talked about last week, some of us, we, we feel like these relationships are, are, are struggling or maybe even on life support. And some of us might feel like it's already done because the relationships are dead and buried, but we serve the same Jesus of last week, who's the same Jesus of this week, that's the same Jesus of 37 weeks from now, who is the Jesus of what? Resurrection which means in every relationship, there's hope. And my big idea, the core thought and premise for this morning is your life is only as good as your relationships. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's true. It's true, your life is only as good as your relationships and relationships take skills, do they not? There's nothing more important and there's nothing more difficult than relationships. And the good news here is that the Bible gives us amazing direction when it comes to relationships that'll change our lives if we listen. During the course of this series, we'll talk about relationships like marriage. We'll talk about romantic relationships. We'll talk about friendships. We'll talk about parenting and kids. We'll talk about bosses and spouses and coworkers and constituents. We'll get into all various facets of relationships. But this week, I wanna focus on one thing, one principle that impacts all of these relationships. This morning, I want to talk about how we deal with conflict. Everybody take a breath. I know it's our favorite thing. I know as a culture, we're so good at it. I get that we're all pros. We're like, Pastor John, I don't even need this, but for my neighbor, let's go ahead and get a little fresher here. How do we deal with conflicts? If you turn your Bible to Matthew 18, I'm about to let you sit down. I just want to get the blood flowing for you, okay? Matthew 18, Jesus is a genius. Here at Greenhouse, we want to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus, and Jesus has a process for conflict. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? Literally. All right, here we go. Verse 15. If you're with me, say preach, preacher. All right, I will. Verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, or other versions say sin against you, go and point out their fault. Check this. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you will have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Somebody say, can I get a witness? Jesus said, you can. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. 
Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you agree on anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, look at this promise. For where two or three gather in my name. Pastor John, if you, I mean, amen, I'm so, I'm so glad you're talking about this. If you only knew our relationship, if you only knew our marriage, Pastor John, I'm so glad you're talking about If you only knew my room, I think my roommates are possessed by the devil. Pastor John, if you only knew, here's what Jesus said. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And that'll change everything. Jesus, thank you that you're here, that you're present. Lord, we are two or more gathered in your name. Thank you that you are with us right now. This is not just a life skill or a philosophy. This is a relationship with the living God. And Lord, this is, this is a challenging area for every single person here. Help us, teach us, guide us to be better in handling conflict in the relationships that matter most. We love you. Help us. Amen? Turn your neighbor, give him a high five, an elbow bump, a kiss on the lips if you're married to him. If you're not, that'd be awkward. Don't do it. All right, I want to start with a little bit of participation because I got to know who I'm talking to this morning. So I want you to give me a show of hands. How many of you would like to have healthy, deep relationships and friendships with other people? Show of hands. Okay, not everybody, which I don't know how to treat that, but okay, we'll continue. Some of you, hopefully this will motivate you. Uh, same question, how many, different question, but same response here, show of hands, how many of you have been let down or hurt in relationships before? Cien por ciento, 100%. So it, I, I wanna start there because I need us to understand why this is so hard. The overwhelming majority of homo sapiens, human beings that are in the room here, gathered online, watching in Guyana, desire to have deep, meaningful relationships. And yet, if we open up our lives and hearts enough to have said deep and meaningful relationships, it's only a matter of time you're gonna get hurt. How do we deal, you see the problem here? How do we deal with this dichotomy? How do we deal with this reality that we are dealing with broken and flawed human beings who all desire the same thing we do, flourishing, great, healthy relationships, but we're dealing with flawed people who are inevitably gonna disappoint and hurt us and let us down, sometimes without even meaning to. How do we reconcile these two realities? How do we deal with this as a culture? I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, not very well. My son Liam is five years old. He's about to be six. He's our oldest. My wife and I have two. And, and Liam, this boy, some of you have heard about him. He's like a mythical creature now at Greenhouse. I assure you, he is very real. And, um, and so he was, I mean, just a born leader. The kid just, from, from the time he was a little kid, it doesn't matter if they're older kids, younger kids, he'll jump out of the car, run into the neighborhood. Okay, guys, here's what we're doing. Everybody gather around. I'm like, who, who is this kid? All right, here's what we're gonna do. And he just gets out there and it's been a joy for myself and Nancy to watch. At this point, he uses his leadership for good and not for evil. He'll pull other kids in who are on the outside and help them feel comfortable. And it's so beautiful and it's so amazing, but there are lots of areas for growth. Parents, can I get an Amen. One of the things that does not go well with my son is when people don't want to follow his very strong charismatic leadership. 
Maybe you can relate to this. And, and I regularly experience my son running to me. We're outside in the neighborhood. He's got all these friends in our cul-de-sac where we live. And he comes running over invariably at some point, And he's like, dad, they don't want to do what I want to do. I'm like, well, what are you going to do about that? And, and so his response is often to just, to just pull out entirely. He, he, he runs away, he walks away, he pouts away, he moves away, he pushes away. And so I've been trying to teach and it's discipleship, right? To talk to my son about Proverbs. In the Proverbs, it says, he who wants to have friends must show themselves friendly. I said, son, if you want to have friends, you have to be a friend. And so you don't always have to do what you want to do. Sometimes you got to do what other people want to do. Some of you spouses are like, we're going to my restaurant. I told you after, after lunch, we're going to lunch and we're going where I want to go. All right. That wasn't the point, but maybe. But I'm trying to work with my son, like, son, when, when you encounter relational friction, it is human nature to run away and, and just cut people off. But you can't do that if you want to have deep relationships. You can't run away. You can't just pout. You have to actually go and talk to them. But it's not just Liam's problem, is it? It's not just, it's easy to kind of look at a a five, six-year-old and say, oh man, yeah, he's got so much room to grow. But the reality is when it comes to conflict in our relationship, we all like five and six-year-olds in our culture have gone astray. Is that not true? Like we, if there are, there are some things about our culture, we do very, very well. We can get communication out there in a heartbeat. We can live tweet events. But when it comes to handling relational friction, we are like elementary schoolers for the most part emotionally in our culture. I know it's not you, but your friend, okay? We don't handle this well. We, we struggle and we don't wanna struggle and we wanna have deep relationships and we wanna be close with people. And we all wanna have that five-year, 10-year, 15-year, 20-year, 25-year-old friendship, best friend that we've been with it through thick and thin, but it's rarer and rarer and rarer and rarer. Why? So let me paint the picture of the moment that we're in because it's not just my five and almost six-year-old son, in our current moment in culture, everyone is raging. They've called, they've deemed this the age of rage. Everyone is frustrated about something. Everyone is upset about something. Everyone is raging. And so what we do is we rage and we disengage. We get upset. We get frustrated. We get disappointed. We get hurt. And so what do we do? We cut people off. We cast them to the side. We, we nix the relationship because we're not quite sure how to handle the friction. We're not quite sure how to handle conflict. So our culture's operating MO is when you have relational conflict, you cut the person out and move on. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Here's what we do not consider in our nearsighted approach. We, we go through this and we're dealing with human beings and we wanna have good relationships and then they let us down or they disappoint us or they just straight up stab us in the back. And so we cut them out and we move on to the next relationship. But the problem is because of our inability to handle that conflict in a direct or healthy way, we end up cutting off and cutting off and cutting off and cutting off and we burn all of our relational bridges until we found ourselves in an island of isolation. Are you tracking with me still? So now we're in this island of isolation, but all of us raised our hand and said, we want deep, meaningful relationships. So we find ourselves in an island of isolation and now we're frustrated. So what do we do with that frustration? We take it out on the only people that still are there because they have to be there. Let me tell you what I mean. You're having relational tension and you come home, you've had a horrible week at work. 
and, and, and where you really should be going directly to that coworker or that supervisor or that boss and having a conversation, we don't. Instead, we bring it home and we take it out on our spouse and our kids. Or you're having tension with your teenager and you're having this back and forth and all of your coworkers and everybody at work knows, oh man, get ready. They are going to feel your emotional wrath when you come into work. Or you're feuding with your spouse and, and your emotions are just on edge and, and anywhere you go and at any moment, you are just ready to pop off on anybody and everybody that might be around at the moment. Do you see the ripple effects of this toxic cycle? Like I, I realized as soon as I said, we're gonna talk about handling conflict, 75% of the room was like, how do I get out of here? Like you, you, you're like the last, it felt like a cuss word to you. You're like, Pastor John, that is not from Jesus. That's from the devil, okay? Like we're, we, the overwhelming majority of human beings don't like conflict. How many of you just, you're like, I don't like conflict. You don't even wanna raise your hand right now because you feel like you're in conflict with me, right? You're like, I would have left, except it feels like I'm in conflict when I leave and that felt awkward. So I don't wanna talk about it. It's the majority of people. And here's what we think. If I just avoid this conflict, then it's gonna go away, but it doesn't. It just goes inside. And the more conflict goes inside, it builds up and builds up and builds up until it finally does what? It explodes. In the wrong way, at the wrong time, and most tragically, often on the wrong people. And our relationships suffer. And your life is only as good is your relationships. If you're taking notes, this is the core thought for this sermon and it's really gonna be the overarching trajectory for the entire series. Your life is only as good as your relationships. Some of us don't mind conflict, right? You're like, Pastor John, this is my thing, bring it on, right? Some of us don't mind conflict, but we engage it wrong. And some of us go wrong by avoiding conflict altogether. And here is Jesus to the rescue, teaching us how to deal with conflict to save the day and save us all. Can somebody say one more time, thank you, Jesus. All right, three steps to this process. We're gonna jump into it. Eric and Will, it's good to see you guys. Three steps to this process. The first one is this, name it and go direct. Turn to your neighbor and say, you gotta name it. You gotta name it, name it and go direct. The first point that Jesus lays out is we name it and go direct. Look at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Anyone have one of those, how are you really doing friends? Anybody got a friend like that in your life? I remember in college, yeah, in college, uh, we had a friend named Christina, and Christina was that type of friend. Like she would, you know, people ask that question, like, hey man, how you doing? Good, good, good. You know, it's, it's not a real question. I mean, it is, but it's not, but it is, but it's not. You know, but so, so she would go around and she'd be like, hey, how you doing? You'd be like, oh, I'm good. And then she would stop. She would look at you in the eyes. She would bear into your soul. And she would say, how are you really doing? And you would sit there in this existential crisis because you would have sworn you were doing good before, but now when Christina bears into your souls with those blue piercing eyes, you're like, I don't know, I don't, horrible, I don't know, just leave me alone. You know, it was this moment, you know, but she cared. But I remember like, it was wild. Like this was her thing. Like I would, if, if, I, if I did not have an extra 15 minutes, I just would avoid her. If I'm being straight up, I'm like, I gotta go somewhere else. I got, I got places to be because I don't have time for that. How are you really doing? But there's something genius 
Go figure in what Jesus is telling us here. He says, if your brother or sister sins or sins against you, go to them, just the two of you, and show them their fault. Throughout the course of this series, you guys know I really like this, but I'm, I'm leaning on a few different resources. One of them is a book called Transforming Fellowship by Chris Corsi. It's an incredible read if you want to pick it up. Uh, they, are, they are taking modern cognitive and neuroscience and helping people understand that what God always said from the very beginning, because go figure, he made us and knows the brain better than anybody, is actually the cutting edge research is finally catching up to God's cutting edge word. This book is called Transforming Fellowship. What they talk about in one of the chapters is the power and potency of eye contact. Now, this is fascinating. They say something happens in human development when you give someone the gift of eye contact. We've studied this at this point quite, quite robustly when it comes to babies. Like if babies get eye contact, there's things that light up in their brains that does not happen if they are not given eye contact. I mean, it's one of the areas of neglect even in child rearing. You have to give babies eye contact. Well, guess what? It doesn't stop when you're babies. It's not just a baby thing. It's a human thing. There's something about going to people directly, face-to-face. We all need FaceTime and direct contact. I'm not talking FaceTime. I'm talking FaceTime, right? We actually look at somebody. It's how we're wired. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them directly. Now, now I, I, I know you probably caught this, but I just need to be clear. Jesus did not say, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to the screen. Ooh, I'll talk to this side of the room. Jesus did not say, if your brother or sister sins against you, get behind the keyboard and let them know what's up. Jesus did not say, if your brother or sister sins against you, then you need to call the girlfriends and be like, oh girl, you are not gonna believe. This is a prayer meeting. So, so we, can we talk about this just in prayer, what she did to me, and then we'll pray for her. He did not. Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to who? Them. Directly. Just the two of you. I need us to understand something because we do not do this well, and we're learning this more and more as the science comes out. I need you to realize something. You are a fundamentally different person face-to-face with someone than you are hidden behind a screen. Do you know that? I hope at this point we all know this about ourselves, and it's not a better variety when you're behind a screen. You're less empathetic, you're less considerate, you're less compassionate, you're more echo-chambered in your own feelings and less able to move in empathy. Now, I want to give caveats here. Jesus has specifics, but I need to be abundantly clear with what I am and what I am not saying. There are severe situations that require a different response. Namely, if you are in a place where you are enduring abuse, whether that's sexual abuse or physical abuse, what I am not saying is, man, just brush it under the rug or ignore it or go. If you are not in a place of safety, here's what you do. Get out and call the police. I just want to be abundantly clear. If you're watching online and and you're in any form of sexual or physical abuse, that is a severe situation that requires an immediate and severe response. We will help you. If you're in that spot, you get out to where you're in a safe place. You call the police and you need to deal with that in that way. Is that clear to everybody? All right. I'm not saying that you pretend like everything is okay. I'm not saying that you just kind of dig your, bury your head in the sand and pretend like it's all good. To the contrary, Jesus is telling us here how to address things when they are not okay. This is the beauty of Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, the realist. 
There are people that you sometimes need to distance. There are boundaries that you need to construct in normal everyday relationships. Again, not dealing with tragedy and trauma, but in everyday relationships, there are people that you need to have healthy distance with. But Jesus says there's a process to it. Everybody say process, process. This is a key word. And the danger of the moment is here is how our culture navigates interpersonal conflict. Whatever you feel, just do that, right? It, it, whatever you feel, just, just do that because emotions always lead us to the best places and the best decisions for the long term, right? It's always what happens. And the problem is we feel a whole lot of things that we should not just do, although emotions are a gift and indicators by God, but it doesn't mean you do exactly what they say. It means you listen to what they're telling you. And so we act on our emotions, often without the, considering the long-term ramifications of what we're doing, and we destroy people and we destroy ourselves. And Jesus comes in to say, hey, there's a process to this. And Jesus comes into the rescue, giving us his process. I think often if we're, if we're being truly specked and if we're being fully honest, which I think is a good idea in church, if God is here, you probably wanna be honest. Often if we're being honest, when we feel things are wrong, we don't do or say anything. And Jesus is letting us know when things are wrong, you don't brush it under the rug, you don't suck it up and pretend it's fine, you don't pretend nothing is wrong. When things are wrong, here's what you do. You go to them just the two of you. By the way, I want us to catch the connection here. When it comes to this uh, call, this process from Jesus, the first step is actually exactly what God did with us, right? God so loved the world that he came. Thank you, Zach. God so loved the world that he came. God comes down and enters into the relational friction that humanity has with the divine because he loves us and is hoping and praying for what? Redemption. This, this, by the way, is very crucial. It's not just the process of what you do. It is also the heart posture of how you do it. In verse 15, you could throw it back up there for me one time. Jesus says, if, you have, if a brother or sister sins against you, go to them directly. And he says at the end, if they listen to you, what does it say? You have won them over. Okay, check this. This means when you are going to someone, you are not going with the ambition to stick it to them. You're not going with the ambition that they're gonna feel it. This is not a heart posture of revenge. This is a heart posture of reconciliation. Your goal is to reconcile and win back the relationship. Why? Because God, who so loved the world, when we were enemies of his and in relational conflict, came and loved us and reconciled us. Do, do you see the, the difference there? It's not just the path and the what, it's also the heart motivation and the how. You're going to win them over. For healthy conflict resolution, we want God's way with God's heart behind it. Step number one, name it and go direct, which leads us to step number two, bring witnesses. Bring witnesses. This is the second thing Jesus tells us to do. Verse 16 he says, if they will not listen in that one-on-one -on -one interaction, take one or two others along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Key word, witnesses. Everybody say it with me. Witnesses. Do we all know what a witness is? It is someone who has witnessed something, right? Here's what Jesus does not say. 
If you have an issue and you go talk to them, they don't listen, you bring your friends with you, right? You get your friends on that comment thread and you tear them up. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if you come to a point where you have that direct conversation and it doesn't quite go where you're not, you're not reconciled, you haven't won them over, then you bring witnesses, not the people that you told your version of the story to. Witnesses. Why? Because if we're being truly self-aware, there is what happened in the interaction, and then there is my side of the story, and then there is your side of the story, and the truth is probably somewhere in between the middle, right? And if you bring witnesses, they're now coming with a goal of reconciliation. By the way, this is incredible for couples. We got the couples workshop tonight for all dating couples. I hope you're gonna come hang with us. Marriage in May is in a few weeks from now on May 14th. This is exact, this is the same paradigm you would follow in marriage. Something happens, you have an offense, go to them directly. If you're at an impasse, bring in another couple, bring in a, a professional Christian marriage counselor, bring in somebody else who's a neutral third party, who is for the team, who is for the marriage, who is for you together as a team, not just on one side or the other. The point here is not bolstering your defense. It's God's way, which means it's God's heart. You're looking and hoping and praying for reconciliation. I'm a moderately competitive person. If you have not caught that yet, you can't tell at all. Um, and a few weeks ago, once every quarter or so, all of the city leaders from our greenhouse churches in various cities across Florida get together and, and we'll work on sermon planning and we'll work on long range planning and we'll pray and we'll fast and then we'll pray and we'll play. And so we were playing volleyball not too long ago and uh, Pastor Mike, who is also relatively competitive, by the way, he'll be here in person preaching next week, which I'm excited about. That's gonna be great. Yeah, very, very pumped. My mentor and pastor. And uh, so we we're playing some volleyball. He's a very good volleyball player. I can hold my own, but we were beating his team. He did not like that. And so he, he served a serve that he thought was going to be right in and it landed just out and I was on the back line and I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to lie about volleyball and compromise my integrity and the glory of God for a can of beans, right? I'm not going to do it most of the time. And so I was like, I was like, Pastor Mike, that was out. He's like, no, 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 it was in. I'm like, I'm telling you, bro, it was definitely out. And so he's like, man, we need to call in, we need to call in some witnesses. And I was like, all right, cool. And so there were some witnesses on the sideline that happened to be a team that his team had just beat. And so he's like, we need to call in some witnesses. I'm like, let's do it. And he looks over and he goes, well, not those witnesses. I want, I want other witnesses. Here's the problem. Jesus says, go to them directly. And if you don't bring witnesses, and oftentimes we're like, well, not those witnesses. We want the witnesses that'll just tell me what I think and feel already what I told them. And that's not the witnesses you want if you're looking for reconciliation. You want witnesses. They experienced it. They saw it. They were in the room. They know both of you. They love both of you. And they're looking to bring you together and not rip you apart. The brain science here is what they call in the book synchronized stories synchronized stories. What they say is that there's something powerful that happens cognitively when, when the collective tells a story together. You're in micro church and someone starts telling a story and someone else jumps in. They're like, no, no, no. But remember, actually they did this. And then someone else jumps in and it does something to our brains where we're wired more closely together, both for connection as well as for accuracy. And they say, when you tell your story too quickly, Still in the emotions of it all, you can actually redact memories, meaning wipe and change memories and begin to remember it wrong. So you tell it wrong. 
which is why you pay attention to the timing when you tell it and the audience who you tell. We're stumbling on this stuff. Jesus is like, I told y'all, bring some witnesses. Why? Because you'll tell your side of the story and they'll tell their side and the witness will be like, well, actually what happened was, So we often hurt each other, not because we're bad people, but simply because we're people. Here's a quote from that same book, Transforming Fellowship. Born predator learned gentle protector. Everyone is born with a disadvantage in terms of relational skills. While good relational skills are always chesed, the Hebrew word for loving kindness and protective, all of us are born wired as predators. To babies, the world and everyone in it is theirs to eat. Everything goes in the mouth. This predator wiring never goes away and cannot be disabled. It is possible, though, to learn protective skills that become stronger than the predator wiring. I made a joke at the beginning that we're all pros at this, and obviously we know we're not, and that our culture is amazing at this, and we know it's not. Why are we so bad at this? We're bad at this because we're born bad at this. It's part of what we all collectively experience in humanity as the fall. We are literally wired to fail in relationships, but God has created us to flourish, so we need to follow his plan, path, and process. We can learn. The good news of this whole book is, listen, you can have a bunch of people together in a room who still feel isolated and alone because of our brokenness and our, and our sin experiences and how we've been jacked up by life and people, but we can learn to connect and thrive in healthy ways. Step number one, Jesus says, you name it and you go direct. Step number two, you bring witnesses. And finally, this is a unique one here. Jesus says, if they still don't listen, treat them like tax collectors and sinners. How many of you, that just sounds delightful? You're like, this sounds so good. So, what, what, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Great question. I think we miss Jesus here a lot. Look at what he says. He says, if they still refuse to listen, Tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So remember, he's talking about brothers and sisters here, followers of Jesus. He says, if, if, if you have some sort of relational issue in this conflict, you go to them direct. If they don't listen, you bring some witnesses. If they still don't listen, you bring it to the collective church body, then treat them as a tax collector and sinner. Now, we know how we treat tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners would have been their idea of people that are on the outside, that have been proven to be outside of the community of faith and the people of God. We know what we do when someone is outside in the margins. We already talked about that. We isolate them, we cut them off, and we leave them to fend for themselves. Here is the question, though. How does Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? He loves them and prays for them to repent and turn back. He goes out of his way in prayer and actions to try to win them over and win them back to the faith. What this is saying is if you've got someone that's trapped in sin and you go to them once and they don't respond and you go to them with witnesses and they don't respond, they are more stuck than they often realize. So treat them like a tax collector and a sinner. What does that mean? It means we treat them like people like we were when we didn't yet know Jesus you realize, man, they're stuck and they're trapped and they, don't, they maybe even don't wanna be bad, but they're stuck in that place. I'm gonna pray and try to win and woo them back. It's the heart of Jesus for people. 
See, so often we don't love people enough to tell them prophetically when they've wronged us or hurt us, or we don't have enough of God's heart that when we realize the true state that they're in, we don't move enough evangelistically to pray, win, and woo them back. So people suffer unknowingly with like spiritual and emotional salad in their teeth. Everybody else knows it but them because no one loves them enough to call them out and let them know. And our relationships stay shallow. This is what's really at stake because healthy relationships require conflict. Think about it. Any, think about it. Hopefully everyone has one, right? Think about a healthy relationship, not a perfect relationship. You close your eyes if it helps you. Think about a healthy relationship and I need my, uh, oh, you're already there back there, Jamie. A healthy relationship, almost every single one of them, not perfect, but healthy, they've got conflict in the midst of it. If you want deep relationships that thrive and last, then conflict is inevitable, which means you can't avoid conflict. You just need to do conflict right. And who defines right? Well, if you follow Jesus, guess who defines right? Jesus. It's one of the short-sighted tragedies of our modern age. Any deep relationship will inevitably require conflict. You'll have to go through it. You'll let them in close enough that they'll hurt you or you'll hurt them and you didn't mean to and you didn't even realize it. And then you have to decide, do I just leave this alone, which by the way means distance them slowly or quickly, or do I engage in that space? And there's two different ways of doing this. Here, here's what our culture does. Here's what the world does. We give smiles and say great things to someone's face. Hey, are you okay? Oh, I'm good. Everything's good. Girl, I know you're fine. It's fine. Great smiles to their face. And then when they turn around, like, can you believe what she just did? Did you see what she just, we say great things and smiles to someone's face. And we say the true stuff behind someone's back, right? We say the truth, we say what we really think. We say what we really felt. We just don't say it to their face. We say it when they turn around to everybody else. Here's the way of Jesus. You say the true things, the honest things, the painful things, the vulnerable things to someone's face. And you give good things and smiles behind their back. Do you see the difference? You see this difference? I, I, I wanna illustrate this because I know you're like, Pastor John, that just seems way too pie in the sky. Nobody does that. I, I wanna illustrate this for you so you get a picture of what's at stake when Jesus talks about conflicts. Because if you go the way of Jesus and the path of Jesus, your relationships will thrive, but if you do not, they will suffer. So let me talk Lucky Charms. How many of you like Lucky Charms? This is my favorite childhood cereal. My kids love it to my wife's utter chagrin. I will still, if I'm feeling especially needy of dessert that I can justify as breakfast, I will dip into my kids' Lucky Charms shamelessly and with joy in my heart because they are delightful. So let's say we got a bowl of Lucky Charms here. Amen. Somebody just felt the spirit on that one. Got a big old bowl of Lucky Charms. It's a lot, a lot to consume. And... Um, and obviously, no cereal is complete without a nice, cold bowl of milk to pour in it, right? And so we've got the milk here. And we get ready to pour this thing in. And we got plenty of milk. And then we got plenty of that chunky lemon milk in there. It's been nicely curdled. And then we grab a spoon. I'll oh, just play it. You're like, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. 
I, I was hoping I would not vomit. Oh, gosh, this is gross. I was hoping I would not vomit on stage, but here's my point. Anger and hurt and offense are like milk in a relationship. If you use it within the proper time, it can be helpful, refreshing, and actually redemptive for the relationship. But if you let it sit too long, it sours and goes destructive. I'm telling you, no one thinks like this until it happens to them. You're like, Pastor John, I will forever have grossly burned in my brain that picture of chunky milk on the stage. I pray that you do because that is exactly what happens to relationships when you let offense sit for too long. God talks about this, by the way. It, it, Paul references this. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you have heard that before? It's a Bible verse that's become kind of like a proverb and an adage in our society. What's the point there? The point there is not about a 24-hour period. The point there is that anger and emotions are indicators, but especially anger, it can be useful to you if used within the top or time frame, but if you let it go too long, it spoils it all. So what do you do? You follow Jesus. Yeah, Pastor John, I, and I hear this all the time. Like, I, here's what happened to this person, and I, 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 but I shouldn't be angry about it. But you are. You are angry about it. And that's okay. Your emotions are actually a gift. They're given by God. They're supposed to let you know what's really on the inside in your heart. The question is not what you feel. The issue is what do you do with that anger, that offense, that hurt, that betrayal, and when do you do it? Here's the application. We'll get ready to wrap this up. I am praying that we would start following Jesus's process for conflict resolution. I am praying that we would be a church family in a day and age where nobody does this, in a world where everyone just pretends like it's fine and then gossips or withers on the inside, that we would be a, a church community, a faith family that loves one another enough and loves Jesus enough to follow his process and do his way. Yeah, Pastor John, that's great. I am not good at handling conflict. No one is good at handling conflict. We all hate it, the overwhelming majority. And you never get good at things you don't practice. Come on, Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice. Like this, you gotta put this thing into practice. It's the only way you get good at anything that matters. I want us to become a community of faith that when, all right, here it is, this week, when someone bothers you, I'm not even going to say if, because I know the people in your life, okay? This week, when someone bothers you, here is what I'm praying you do, and please take notes or take a picture of this. This week, when someone bothers you, number one, bring it to God. This is what I do. This is what Pastor John does. I'm a human being, and people upset me sometimes. Never my wife. She's perfect. Other people. The first thing I do is I bring it to God. Why? Because sometimes I'm just acting a fool. And it's me, it's not even them. Step one, I bring it to God. I pray about it. And I'm like, God, this happened and, and, and I'm, it's raw, it's vulnerable. You read the Psalms, man, David was real raw and vulnerable with God. My like, God, this is what happened, this is how I felt. And I just pour my heart out to God. And oftentimes in that dialogue with God, it becomes very clear, it is not them, I, I am the problem. And oftentimes it just dies right there. And there's a genuine release. There's a genuine moment where it doesn't bother me anymore. I do that for the first 24 hours. I talk to God only about it. Before I'm talking to Nancy, before I'm going through anything else, I am talking to God. 
And if after 24 hours, and that's my window, that's what I do. If after 24 hours, it still bothers me, I am going to that person directly first. You guys tracking with me? Step one, when there is conflict relationally, I'm going to God. And sometimes it just dies right there. I'm like, man, that, that was, they didn't mean that. I just took that that way. That wasn't their intentions. That's not their character and track record. And I'm just able to genuinely move past it, love them, forgive them, and move forward with it. Fine. But if it still bothers me, and you have to be self-aware enough and honest enough between you and God to admit that, I'm going to them directly, and I'm beginning the process of Matthew 18, starting with going to them first, just the two of you. Why? Because conflict is inevitable, but a severing of relational connections is not. Your relationships don't have to die. You can have deep and meaningful relationships. And I realize some of us have, have had an anti-example of what this looks like. Some of us have had horrible examples or no examples of how to deal with conflict in any sort of healthy way. Here's the great news. You have a father in heaven who would love to teach you if you're willing to listen. And if you look at your track record, if you look at your family's track record, if you look at your generational track record and it's death after death, after destroy, after destroy relationship, it doesn't have to be that way any longer and it does not have to be that way for you. How? This is the beauty, this is the hope, this is the fuel of the gospel. The gospel is the fuel that allows us to go in this direction. How do we handle relational conflict well? How do we get in this space where we actually care about people who were punks enough to let them back in after they already hurt us once? Well, think about what God did for you. Remember Peter? the honest to a fault disciple who came to Jesus. He says, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive people? And Jesus said, what? 70 times seven. It's a big old number. I have to pull out his abacus to calculate it. What's the point? It's the heart of God for people. Because if you follow Jesus in the room, and if not, you can listen in here, but it's pretty amazing. If you follow Jesus, you know that you and I, before being sons and daughters of God, were what? Enemies of God. We stiff arm God out of the picture. We and intentionally rebelled against his authority and his rightful authority in our lives. And some of us, even after having encounters with God, like Peter, we knew better and we betrayed him to his face. And when we deserved every bit of the revenge and retribution for what we actively did in regard to a relational conflict with God, while we were still enemies of God, scripture says that he died for us. Oh, friend, I get it. Like, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're like, why in the world would I ever do this? You're right. It doesn't make sense outside of the gospel. But when you think about it in the light of the gospel and what God has done for us, it's the only logical thing to do. It's what he did for us. And in the gospel, we find hope. We deserve to be cut off from relationship with God because of our persistent pattern of sin and rebellion. And so here comes Jesus onto the scene and he was cut off from the Father so that we did not have to be. And the great news here is we begin this series and we get ready to talk about marriage and parenting and, and bosses and authority and, and, and kids and friendships. As we get ready to talk about all of these things in the gospel, not only can you learn new skills that lead to flourishing in your relationships, but you can become a different, a new type of person. Only Jesus can do that. This is self-help books, eat your heart out. They can teach you skills, but they can't change your heart.
Only God can do that. You can become a new person and you can learn to do differently. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads. We're gonna pray and I wanna give you a chance to respond. We're gonna close out in a final chorus in just a moment, but but during prayer leading up to, and and especially this morning, we've got a team of intercessors that pray and cover service in prayer. I, I really felt like there were people or persons in the room that you are sitting in the midst of a relationship that is either on life support or flat out seems dead. It might be a marriage relationship. It might be a dating relationship. It might be a relationship with parents. Those were the specific ones that were in my heart that we prayed about. And I feel like you need to connect last week with this week. The same Jesus who rose from the dead and beat death in sin and hell can do and will do and has done over and over and over again the same exact thing relationally. He can resurrect dead relationships. That's what he does. But it has to start on the inside. People don't have relational conflict as much as they have individual conflict that they bring into their relationships. It's really the only thing you can ultimately change. And this morning, if you realize online in Guyana, if you're here in the room and you realize, man, there's there's a consistent trend of my relationships that continue to go south and bridges that continue to burn. And the consistent trend is me. I am that man. I am that woman. The great news is that God loves you so much and he has not given up on you. And even if you feel like father and mother have forsaken you and that person that said they'd always be there has let you down, God loves you so much that he has already spoken while you were still an enemy of God. He loved you and he demonstrated that love on the cross through what Jesus sacrificed. And you can enter into right relationship with him right now. And the call is to do the same thing that Jesus told us to do with people. You go to him direct right now in the room online if you're over there in Guyana you can go to him direct and say Jesus I need your help God I know it I've sinned against you I've 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 chosen my own path I've chosen my own way I've tried to do this at my own strength and my own abilities and I'm at the end of my rope and it's not working and I'm done I give up I give up wave the white flag I give up I surrender Jesus I need your help change me help me Teach me to be different so I can do different. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, but and you're like, Pastor John, I'm, I'm right with God, but my relationships with people are a mess. Yeah, that happens. And if you'd like help from Jesus to deal especially with conflict in healthy ways, In just a moment, we're going to have our prayer partners up here. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to speak life and hope over your situation. We'd love to to set up things. Maybe you're like, man, I just just need some counseling. We got a whole list that we can recommend and refer you to. You're like, I I don't know what I need. I need other people around me. We've got microchurches where you can plug in and find a community to help you thrive and flourish in your relationships like never before. But there is hope and there is help for you this morning. But it's up to you to take that step. So why don't we stand to our feet? And if I could get our prayer partners up here to line the front, we're gonna close out in this final chorus. If you'd like prayer for anything, if you wanna turn to Jesus, if you want prayer for encouragement in your relationships, if you just wanna believe God for a miracle, we would love to pray and agree with you. And you're welcome to come forward right now as we close out in this final chorus of worship. Let's do it. 